God bless guys and welcome once again to Research Podcast and I hope that you've been encouraged by the programs that we've been putting up, in particular with our, our new series on First John, um, in particular that in mind uh, as our focus has been uh, assurance of one's faith and, and John really deals with this concern that many face on a regular basis and so I pray that it's reached you, I pray that it's it's um, it's encouraged you and uh, in particular, encouraged you to to uh, pursue this truth, uh, to align yourself with the Word of God, to uh, compare your life to what Scripture tells us in terms of how we can come to a having assurance of one's faith. Um, because in order to do so, one of the things that we have to do is is really make distinctions between what is genuine from what is manufactured. What is God-given or God-produced in us uh, with or from what man achieves or attempts to reach with, uh, with his own efforts. Uh, and so it's important to make those distinctions and John does that wonderfully. Um, I think as we go through this epistle, things become a lot more clearer. And one of the things that you will just see pressed upon and repeated throughout this epistle is the fact that it is God that does this work. It is something that must come from God and it is manifested primarily through love. And so expanding on what love is and and seeing how that is made evident in one's life is essentially what we're going to try and and um and do through this series that you can kind of come and reflect upon your own life and see is this something that is happening or has happened or has developed or is in development within my own life that I can then assess and say with certainty and with great humility because it is something given to us not something that we achieve um, that it is something that God gives to us um, and so you you are humbled by that. It's not something for us to boast in. We can't. We cannot boast in it because it does not stem from us. It does not develop from us. It is something that is um, done in us and for us and for the glory of God. So, but before we get to to um, the portion that we're going to examine in the next few weeks, uh, let's kind of recap in terms of what we saw uh, wrapping up uh, verses one to six. Last time we were together, we meditated upon the inseparability between God's Word and the person of God. This is such a fundamental truth that we need to really grasp that, that we, though we can make distinctions between them, obviously, um, we cannot separate them. They are entwined, they're, they're connected. Now, the Word of God is something that will remain even after the world, as we know it, ceases to exist. The Word of God will remain. And, and John gives insight to the reason as to why that is. It's, it's because the Word existed prior to creation and will surpass creation itself. For the Word was with God and the Word was God. Alright? And so an absolute truth is that, that, that this absolute truth we, we have been reflecting upon, this, the core that we have as believers to stand firm on that word against all enemies who try to shift or modify it to fit their own desired worldview, their agendas and their perspectives. As we, 
we as, as believing Christians must declare what a lie is. Not on our, 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 on our own authority, um, but rather on the authority of Scripture. We don't stand upon our own authority, but upon the revealed Word of God. So upon that, what does Scripture say? And then anything contrary to, to that, to what is declared by God, can easily be distinguished as false, as, as being uh, something of a of a lie, something that is not true. And this is what we saw John do in the previous section in verses 1 to 6, in which the focus was on what the lie, uh, what the lie that these docetics were presenting the church with. John challenged them, and at the same time, the church who were may, maybe being persuaded by their arguments or their reasoning um, of abandoning what Scripture had already revealed. And so their claims were made void, and John argued, by the way, that um, that the reason why he could say that what these guys were teaching was clearly a lie was based on the fact that it was lacking in love. That was one of the key elements, the key evidences as to what these docetics were teaching or preaching to the church at large was a lie because it wasn't fundamentally based upon the love or the truth that was revealed in scripture and we're not told exactly how this lack of love manifested itself by but something that has come across clearly is that the withholding of truth is essentially in itself hateful that's a hateful hateful act when you withhold truth it is a hateful Act. And we reflected also upon our society today in which a shift or a reinterpretation of what love is has crept into not only in our society, but unfortunately in our churches today. This redefinition of what love is does not stem from the word of God and therefore must be rejected by the church at large. Our goal therefore should always be to stand upon the revealed truth of scripture and say as john said to his false teachers of his day by calling them out calling them what they are they are liars and this is what we we considered last time we were to get together and something will become as i've said really apparent if it hasn't done so yet, is that we cannot go through John's writings without seeing a constant thought towards the theme of love. Because it seems as though John is focused on this as one of those key, if not the key, um, distinctive nature that separates those who are genuinely believers or those who have genuinely been regenerated or born of the Spirit or born above, and with those who pretend and make misconceptions and preach false ideas um, that are not based from Scripture, but are their own ideologies. Um, and today is no exception. We still see the same thing in our day and age. So let's kind of consider the portion that we're going to be dealing with in the next few weeks. Um, today we're going to probably just focus on the first verse and, and revisit these themes again because the main theme is love and love as a distinctive factor in terms of distinguishing the genuine believer from that uh, that person who has convinced themselves that they are believers but there is no evidence so the word of god says this we're going to be reading verses 7 to 11 and 
And thus says the word of God. Verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. <clears throat> Praise God. Amen. And thus concludes the reading of the word of God. Um, so this is the text that we're going to spend some time in unpacking and meditating on and thinking upon. So I pray that um, you, you were blessed by this. And um, But to begin with, I want to focus obviously on, on verse, uh, on the first verse for, for, for today. <clears throat> um, so bear with me. But first of all, I want to acknowledge something that in verse five, we come across the very first usage of the word love. In the Greek, agape. And now we've come to know John first, that this is the first usage of that word love in verse 5. And here in verse 7, we come across the first usage of the word beloved. This is the first of many times that John will use this. And the reason why I bring, bring it into focus, why I bring this up is because the word used here for beloved, as opposed to the way the NIV has rendered this, you know, in the Greek here um, is a specific word. The, the NIV has rendered this D friends as opposed to beloved is because in the Greek is it, it, it's the word agape toy, agape toy translated as beloved in the ESV. And this is the phrase that he would use for the church, specifically identifying the church, distinguishing the church apart from the rest of society, apart from the rest of the world. It is this word uh, agapetoi. Eh? It, it is essentially beloved, loved of, right? Beloved. And so he uses this in, in a wonderful way. So not only could this be used from John's um, perspective in, in, in the sense that he uses it as a way to, um, to I guess, address and, and express more, more better, uh, express the way he felt towards his fellow brothers of the faith. Like, he's not using it just from that perspective of how much he appreciates them. And how much he has an affection for towards the these fellow brothers, but also uh, it could be used in recognition of the love of God that has been lavishly uh, poured over these believers in Christ. And I tend to be more in agreement with the latter interpretation uh, than the than the prior, since what. John has in mind in the previous section was indeed and still is the focal point, the love of God, of God primarily. A love that leads us into loving others. That is the fundamental 
um, core from which everything stems from. It is the love of God demonstrated to us in Christ. And so his thought is what he's meditating on is the love of God. And so for me, primarily that the usage of that word agape toy, that beloved comes from the recognition that, that John sees over the church, that they have been blessed. They have been loved by God, that they have been, um, uh, being the ones that God has poured this specific love upon or over this group of people. It is the church. Now, what is clear, however, is that love is something that John was deeply thinking about when he was writing this precious letter to the saints. And this sprung a thought, I guess, to mind in terms of it, it, it just how much John thought upon, upon the love of God. And this pressed the question upon my own soul in a, a reflective, in a reflective manner, in terms of how much do I think upon this? Because it's remarkable just how much John thought about and expressed the love of God constantly. It was in his speech, and we find a, a common theme throughout, not only in his epistles but even in his gospel. That this was something that came to him almost naturally, almost like a second nature to him. This is embedded in his DNA, if I could use that uh, um, to kind of describe the way he expressed and just over, was overfilled with, with the love of God. To, to live in that constant love of God or be in constant awareness of the love of God is something we all as believers ought to strive for. There is no doubt that his use of love, this language of love, shares evidence to the truth that if God's love is truly in you, then you will live in love just as Christ did. That's essentially what John is, is dealing with here in this text that we've just read. That is the, the focal point of these four verses that we consider. Um, th these four verses are concentrated upon that, that basic statement that the evidence that uh, you, the evidence uh, that God's love is truly in you is manifested in the reality that, that you live in love just as his son did, the way he exemplified. And so that's what we're leading towards and that's what we'll unpack. But this led me to reflect upon my own personal walk with God and how I need to constantly discipline myself to think upon the love of God. Or in particular, not, not just love in general, but in particular, focusing on the love of God. Not just love in general, not that just this abstract idea of what love is, you know, being loving, kind and whatever. No, about the love of God for me, for, for the church. Because we're, if, if there were no genuine effort on my part to really stop and meditate upon the love of God, the way He has expressed it, demonstrated, revealed it to me through Scripture, if I don't stop and make that conscious effort to think and meditate upon that love, it wouldn't be a natural thought that comes to mind. It wouldn't be something that I would do in my own efforts. And even when I have such a high view of it, even when I place the love of God in such a high place, it's still nowhere near where it should be. And then, and I think that this is 
true of all Christians, right? And the thought, just thinking upon the love of God is not a, a, a daily or a second by second thing, which it should be. I think that that would, that would radically change the way we live our lives and the way we lead our lives and the way we perceive um, the world around us. But because of our sinful, our corruption, which we're going to get to in a moment, th that, that is restricted. But before we get to that, I also thought that my second thought was this, and this is obviously I already knew the answer even as I set this question up. We all know this answer, but as I thought upon that, just how 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 much I don't think upon the love of God. On the flip side of that, I, I thought I thought about, about God and, and whether He requires to remind Himself to be loving. Does He require to, to kind of nudge Himself to be loving as constantly, um, to, to kind of be remindedly constantly um, to, to think upon this or to express His love? Like how we need or how I need um, to constantly kind of nudge myself and, 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 and set time apart to really think and meditate upon the love of God. Does he require that? And the obvious answer is no. He does not need to be reminded. He doesn't need to set an alarm and say, okay, today I need to express love to the nation of Australia or whatever, right? Or a specific person. No. He doesn't need to remind himself of what he already is by nature. And the point that I make with this really is twofold to get you to think upon just how perfect and loving our God truly is. That he does not require any assistance in being loving, which by the way, doesn't mean that man does not try and they try, right? I mean, we, we, as we saw last time, they're trying to redefine for God what love should be, right? But the point is that he, he doesn't require that. He doesn't need to be reminded or assisted in being loving. He's always loving and loving to the maximum and perfectly without any flaw because he himself is love. I mean, this is a, a concept that we all can understand. We, we, we say this uh, almost as though it is nothing. It's, it's become so common that God is love, but he himself by nature is love. And, and, and that is something wonderful that we need to kind of meditate upon that, I think, a little bit more profoundly. But on the other side of that same, same thought or the, the flip side of that same coin is the opposite. Just how fallen we truly are. The truth of the matter is that we, we constantly need re, reminding and assistance on how to love. We, we need that constant guidance, that constant pulling of the ear and saying, no, 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 no. Don't act like this. Don't think like this. Don't behave in this manner. We may think that we are loving, you know, we may think that we practice love. We may think to ourselves that we are kind-hearted or, or nice people generally. But that is only because it is based upon our already corrupted um, misconception of what love is. That we can easily kind of blow those lines and say, yeah, I am loving. But we cannot love as God does, for it is not our nature to do so. 
This is fundamentally a corruption that lies within us through sin. And it requires, therefore, a change of nature before we can even begin to, to even attempt to be loving in the way that God has revealed us to be loving. There has to be a radical change. I mean, the more we think upon the love of God, the more we might be prone to express that love in a similar way as John. That our language might begin to sound more and more like John's vocabulary. Right, the way he just expressed, the way he, he would speak, it was just so love-drenched, his language, that he could not help but express himself in, in such loving ways. I mean, we might not have Paul's scholarly vocab, right, with big theological concepts, but it was just Paul's way of describing the very same thing that John is doing here, describing the love of God in great descriptive way. That's what Paul did. But Paul spoke of the love of God too. He was just maybe more educated, if you would. But so long as I think so long as we, we can have John's limited vocabulary of love, I mean, with the limited vocabulary that John had, uh, the way he expressed the love of God is such a wonderful way. And that, that of, you know, and, and I, I want to be clear, not just in a general sense, he didn't just express love specifically he expressed the love of God and, and, and we would do far more than we do if we could, we could just meditate upon that love, the love of God. Not only will we be far more loving towards others who are outside of Christ, but since the author has specifically the church in mind, we may be more patient with each other. I'm talking about within the body of, of Christ. We might be bearing with each other a little bit more than what we currently are. We won't be quick to be offended and especially quick to retaliate when we feel threatened or challenged by a brother. You know, as we meditate upon the loving nature of God and the natural flowing out of love that proceeds out from Him towards us and how much we lack in this, in this area and need assistance in this area, is the, in, in, this, in this reality, that, that truth that we need this assistance, that ought to humble us in recognition of our fallenness. I want to share light on that. That Just bring that to the focus. The fact that we need assistance in this should reveal to you just how corrupted you are. You and I, me, that we always need help in this area because it is not natural to us. It's not natural. And since God, who is holy and is patient with me, who is flawed in every way, what right can I hold up as a reasonable excuse to not show that same love to others, especially, especially the beloved brothers of faith? I mean, right now I'm, I'm speaking, speaking to the church, and this is primarily the focus here of John anyway. So to, to those who are, are believers, that there must be that, that, that sense that, I mean, that scripture clearly defines for us what love is. We, we, love is kind, love is patient. We know, we know that. We could finish that sentence from memory. But... 
when we don't express it, it's because we don't meditate upon it. We're not thinking upon that. And and, uh, if I could give you a second application to those who may stand outside of of the, the beloved congregation, those who are quick to say to themselves, I would much rather leave church because so and so are rude, such and such are arrogant, because someone in the church is is self-righteous or whatever it is. All these things, someone else thinks that they're, they're better than me. All these sins that are identified in the other person, I can guarantee you are found within that same person who is making the claim of the other. And this is the key thing that one of these key things that distinguish the church from the rest of the world. Because we will acknowledge that the same fallenness that lies within me lies within my brother. And therefore, I cannot say I want to separate from my church because this person here is not showing me the love that I so deserve. Because you will recognize You would have recognized, you would have thought that God by his nature is constantly loving. And then as you reflect upon your own life, you will see just how much you are not and require assistance. And it's only those who have been regenerated by the spirit of God that has the spirit indwelling in them will actively love their brothers and will not abandon their church. I mean that in, in, in the church in general. I mean, if your church is, is teaching things, anything contrary to what scripture teaches, you should leave, abandon, run, flee. And this is what John is declaring, right? Separate from falsehood if the truth is not declared. But this is a fundamental truth. Think upon the love of God should lead to the fact that you are not loving yourself. And therefore, depends so, so, solely, so much so on God for the leading of loving others. And so John refers to the church as beloved. That is to say, to those loved by God, those drenched in the love of God and are self-aware of that love, it will manifest itself in, in the same characteristics found within Jesus, which we'll get to later. But by referring to them as such, I imagine it drew their attention to where it needs to be. And that is on God's manifestation of love. A love undeserving over a sinner like you and I. This therefore lays the foundation by which we must build upon. The example that we as beloved of God, loved of God, must imitate to others. Not as a means to gain favor from God. That's not the the purpose of this. You know, we think to ourselves, and this is the, where we f- fall short. You know, this is where religion comes in, where we think to ourselves, look, look at me, God, I'm, I'm doing what you've asked me to do. As long as I, you know, I'm being loving to other people that God's going to have favor upon me. Or look, I'm being a Christian because I'm, I'm, no, that's religion. Rather, it should have 
that dualistic thought of how great the love of God is and how unworthy we are to receive that love. And that should lead men to love others who are sinners like, like me. I'm so not worthy of his love. We are not worthy of it. You and I are believers. Do, do you not realize that you are loved by God? And not in a general sense, not in just in a general manner, but how we might say um, of humility at large, but, but in, in, speci in a specific, well thought out love towards you. Like he doesn't just generally love you. He has a specific, uh, eternally based thought of love towards you. God loves you, the church. This, this is how he loves you. Much like, like a husband is solely devoted to his wife. Much like, like a father loves his children, that, that specific nature of love, that God has a specific and unique expression of love towards you in Christ. One in which we may not be deserving. We are not deserving of. And one in which we can not receive. And not be affected by it. That's the fundamental thing. We cannot receive and not be affected by this love. If you, if you claim to have the love of God, you cannot not be affected by it. I know it's a double, double negative, but it, it, it goes, it, by nature, it, it, it brings this change, uh, this radical change. It will cause within us an overflow to love your brother or sister, something that clearly the docetics were not practicing in their walk. And so John says, you're a liar. <laughs> you are not of the light. You are not of his church. You are not of his sheep. You, you know, Christ is calling out to you and you can't hear his voice because only his flock hear his voice. But let's move on. John says in verse 7 that what he is sharing with the congregation is something that is not new but rather old. Something that has come from the beginning. And it, it's this word that I want to kind of lay emphasis on. The, this will be the second thought, I guess, from this verse that I want to meditate on a little bit. Probably a lot brief because I've spent most of my time on this love, on this word, beloved. But that's the beginning. From the beginning. The beginning there. In the Greek word, there is our case, right? Which refers to something past. Uh, not just something, you know, very old, but from the very early stage. And some might suggest that what John is referring to here is obviously the Old Testament commandments that, that came through Moses, in particular uh, Leviticus 19.18, which it says here in, in the latter or the end portion of that verse, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that should sound familiar to us since Jesus would use that same uh, phrase um, to kind of summarize the, uh, the law, the whole law, and that you should love God and you should love your neighbor. Now, what is interesting about Leviticus chapter 19 um, is the context of which this commandment finds itself. This thought um, that, that lies within this great um, 
explanation of what this looks like within the context of Israel. So the context in which this instruction is found within is is uh, it gives us clear examples of how man can live this out. Uh, like I said, in the context of Israel, all of which are examples that depict for us a looking ahead for the other and not narrow-mindedly focusing on the self and how we can preserve or self-preserve, right? Um, and, you know, kind of like, it, 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 the idea is these examples are there to make sure that you don't get stuck on how I can live a more comfortable life, how I can live a more lavish life for myself. It's simple instructions such as if you own a vineyard, right? Don't pick up all the fallen grapes that fall to the ground. Don't pick those up. Don't take, the, don't take those in. Don't store them up. Don't use them to make wine, juice, or whatever it is that you want to do, or your fruit salads. Don't use that. Leave them on the ground. Why? Well, because those that have fallen to the ground would be for the picking um, of the poor. The poor will come in and they will gather those and enjoy them. And so you see here how the change, the, the, the instruction there is to make you think beyond yourself, beyond your, your natural instinct to self-preserve. We store up, right? We store up. I'm going to leave this. I'm going to, we have our savings. I'm going to save this up because, you know, later on I might need it. You know, that type of, we're naturally, instinctively, um, live our lives based upon that, that, that instinct. So he says, you know, another example would be, you shall not keep the hard-earned wages of your employees overnight since they depend upon that, that, that money to provide for their families with that wage. So don't show disfavor. Another one would be this one. Don't show disfavor to the poor in the courtroom because they themselves cannot contribute to society or, or you know, to, to the one judging them in an immediate manner. Don't, don't, you know, don't hold favor to the one who's going to pay you a lot more, essentially. If you're a judge, right, or, or a lawyer, don't just take up the case for the rich man because you know you're going to get a hefty pay. Essentially saying. Jesus even spoke about this too in his parable, right? When, when he would instruct the people saying, don't host a, a feast only to those who are capable of repaying you that same favor later down the track, which is the same mentality. Again, it's going back to that same thought of uh, planting a seed for the future. Right, so that you can kind of get a reinvestment, which is fundamentally contrary to the prosperity preaching that is spilled out from the pulpits today. Instead, he says, "Hold a feast, but offer it to those through that, that to those who who you know you cannot benefit from." You know this. And other examples are found within, you know, verses 1 to 18, of which all lead up to the summary of loving your neighbor as yourself. But what is most interesting about the, the phraseology found in, in 1 John, you know, uh, chapter 2, verse 7 there, you know, from the beginning, from the beginning, which in the Greek is our part case, 
is that our Lord uses the very same phrase in Matthew 19 verse 4. When he was questioned, if you recall, about divorce and why Moses granted Israel the certificate of divorce to their wives, um, to which he responded by drawing them back to the beginning, in particular, the scriptures. When he says to them this, and this is what it says in, in Matthew 19 verse 4, it says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, from the beginning, right there, made them male and female. So have you not read that he who created them um, are parkase, are parkase, from the beginning, made them male and female. There we have the same phrase from the beginning, arkarkase. So it may be more convincing that John uh, doesn't really have Moses in mind here when he says that, that, you know, when we come to the conclusion that it's the law that he's being referred to here when, you know, it was established. But rather, he's going way back, saying right from the beginning, like at the beginning, beginning, referring back to the time of Adam and Eve. It, it, it's surely that what he must be referring to. And it's not difficult to see um, that that is what he's, he's talking about. And surely uh, it's, it's not difficult for us to see that the, the, the need for such a law against the corrupted nature of man after the fall. I mean, you, you just got to think upon, upon the fall and the consequences that flowed out from the fall. The force and impact of sin's corruption of mankind it's difficult to fully comprehend, let alone perceive, since this is all we've come to know. I mean, like, we don't generally think upon sin. We, we don't generally think upon love, let alone sin, as a, as a thing that we kind of like really meditate on the effects of it. We don't stop and think upon these things all that much. And so, but if you think upon it, like a, going back to that, just the impact that, that, and the corruption that sin um, brought into mankind, you know, um, you will see just how that fallenness still is is experienced in our day and age in today right now. You know, like I said, it's hard for us to kind of comprehend this because we've grown up in this broken world and we think or accept that it's okay that that's that's just how it is. It is how it is, right? Well, it is what it is, and so you accept it and move on. But when, when we believe and realize the reality, you know, preserved and presented to us in the scriptures, in particularly in Genesis, we notice that there is a dramatic, dramatic change in the fundamental human faculties, such as our thinking and therefore our actions towards others. It became self-seeking, self preserving, self-glorifying. And this is the effect of man, you know, ripped apart from the source of life. It is this departure from man and God, that this removal, that, that, that man departs from that being known as God, the source of life, the source of love. Without giving too much thought to the fall of Adam and Eve and and. And, and all that, the moment that, that they realized that they were naked, I mean, there's so much in that. 
Let me just say this, that at that moment when they realized that they were naked, they realized that they were, they were vulnerable. They understood right then and then at that moment what good and evil were. Why? Because with that realization that they were naked, that, that, that they sensed this vulnerability, inevitably led us to understand that not only can we be hurt, not only can we be hurt, but also, also, and this is, this is fundamental, so I hope you grab, grasp this, but also how badly we can be hurt, but also how we can hurt others. So not only at that realization when we were naked, we, we realized we are vulnerable and therefore um, easily hurt, that we can, that we are actually fragile. That vulnerability leads to the fact that not only are we able to be hurt and hurt badly, but even more pressing, how this knowledge of pain and suffering could be applied to others. In other words, that they learned that they had the capability or the capacity to hurt others in, in, uh, uh, a sense or instinctive response to self-preserve. And this was fleshed out in, in full measure only one generation after the, our first parents. We all remember the story of Cain and Abel. We, we see that by the next, genera next generation, this self-awareness of being vulnerable and, and how that could be manipulated against someone else in favor of self-preservation can easily lead to destruction and death just as it did with Cain and Abel. And this is something that we, we carry within all of us, this sense of our own vulnerability and the need of self-preservation. This embedded corruption is what leads men to destructive attitudes and teachings masked as something good or self-justifying. We self-justify these things. This is that fundamental core broken up, that, that, that separation led. Why? I mean, it just makes sense. You are separated from the almighty God, the protector, the life-giving source, the one being that, that sustains you and, and, and gives you purpose and and gives you that sense of love you, you have been torn apart and so of course naturally you feel vulnerable and scared and so out of that vulnerability you react in defense and in violence and, and in aggression and, and in in hateful things because we're not connected to that source it's this that fundamentally, this is the reason why God came and gives his law, came and gave his law to Israel and specified these clear instructions, these commandments to be aware of these things that listen, stop thinking about yourself because I, God, am going to be your, you will be my people and I will be your God. This reconnection. This protection and says, therefore, leave the grapes that fall down. Don't be so concerned in self-preservation. I will look after you. I will preserve you. I will uphold you. I will give you life. I will show you love. I will bestow upon you the love 
that you cannot even bear or comprehend in my son. It's this separation from God that leads to this vulnerability that leads to this, this destructive results. Now, what does this all have to do with what John is talking about here? Well, as I've mentioned to you, the theme of John's letter is undoubtedly love. And not only is love heavily focused on throughout the letter, this letter, it is, it is also the remedy to this condition. This condition, this fundamental condition that, that stems from the beginning. This love, and not, not only is love heavily focused, like I said, it, it is the remedy to this condition. But not as how society describes love to be. I'm so, so disturbed to see how love has been manipulated or reinterpreted. Our Western civilization wants to blur lines and make no absolute certainties so that all of mankind can live as it pleases them and everyone else must accept it and embrace it without question. But this is not loving, but destructive in its end result. All you have to do is think this through. Where everyone in a Western civilization says, this is what makes me happy and you cannot say anything to me. Follow that through with our corrupted self-preservation natural instinct that we have. That brokenness. Follow that through. You, you can do whatever you want and not find a consequence. And we can't say anything because to them that is truth and that is, that's it. That's loving for them. We're supposed to keep our mouth shut. That leads us to chaos. Not reconciliation. Not harmony. Not love. It destroys humanity. It destroys society. This separation of man from God is fundamental. It is that, that core reason for this fallen state we live in. Therefore, the only hope we may have is to be reconnected to God. The only hope for humanity is the gospel of Jesus. Because through Jesus, do we find this reconciliation, this reconnectedness to God. The realest and purest expression of genuine agapeic love is the message of Jesus and Him crucified. There is no other means by which we may find restoration. No humanistic approach will suffice. It can only be from the transformative power of God's regenerative word to change man fundamentally from his core out. Be entering into this koinonia, this fellowship, this embrace to experience the love of God that you may be among those too. Whom John says, beloved, agape toy. 
And so it would be amiss for me if I did not press this question towards you, the hero. Are you loved of God? Have you experienced this love? Have you been reconnected to the source of life? The source of love, the, the source of, of our own being. Have you been reconciled? Because if you are not in Jesus, you are in enmity. You are an enemy of God. And there is just absolutely no hope. No meaning outside of God for you. You may formulate your own concept of what love is or should be, but you will never ever find a fulfillment in those misconceptions of love. You will never. It is coming back to the source, the being known as love that will restore you that will change you. Again, this is not a problem of the 21st century. This is a problem from the beginning where we are corrupted and are focused solely on self-preservation. Our vulnerability leads to, to attack. It leads to destruction. But when you are beloved of God, where you come under that, that clear declaration of God, you will be my people and I will be your God. You won't need to gather the fallen grapes anymore. You will come into a community of love. And those who are inside that communi community already, the community of God, I want to encourage you. Meditate upon the love of God that leads inevitably to the fact that you lack so much of it and therefore depend upon Him. And that will lead you to express that love to your, to your brother or your sister in faith. As I encourage you to do so. Again to the church, think upon this. And to those outside, come into this love connect see who jesus is come under this and become one of the agape toys one of the 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 beloved of god we'll leave it there for this for this time and we'll come back next time and kind of focus and unpack the rest of these these verses uh, this portion uh, i pray though however that as we meditated upon the love this beloved uh, relationship that we have with God and, and and the fallenness of our state. I pray that this will lead in, in your life uh, self-reflection and a comparison to the scriptures. Am I living my life in this loving way? Have I even encountered or am, am I aware of even this love at all? The love found in Jesus. Um, we'll leave that there. And I pray that you've been blessed. I pray that you've been encouraged. And above all, I pray that God is glorified.